So I talked about making other people's dreams come true. We're going to go to the Texas penal system, the parole board, and there are so thousands and thousands of people that come out of prison that can't get jobs. We want to train these people and give them jobs in our manufacturing plant, producing these mm -hmm. panels and changing their lives while changing lives of the people that are going to live in these apartments. Hi, welcome to Ready to Scale Season 3. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. I'm a real estate investor, syndicator, and operator of multifamily properties. And in this season, we're going to focus on dialogues that drive success. Building real wealth is not a fairy tale nor rocket science, but there's so much to learn. So grab a cup of coffee and join me each week for in-depth conversations with successful real estate investors. Conversations that are designed to help you drive your wealth, investment, knowledge, and lifestyle to the next level. And of course, you can always go to my website, elliperlman.com, to read more about investing passively in multifamily. Hey everyone, I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from the sunny and warm and wonderful Miami. Today I'm speaking with Alvin Hope Johnson. He's the president of a nonprofit called Hope Housing Foundation and the president of Assertive Management Group. So Assertive Management Group is a property management company that helps to Alvin in the foundation's development. And you might have heard his name, because he's very, very active on Clubhouse. And besides that, when he's not on Clubhouse, he also owns Empowered Service of Texas, a general contracting firm that handles all of the foundation's renovation work. So Alvin has been in real estate for over 35 years, and he started as a handyman. How many people started as handymans and now they own you know, a bunch of companies and lead multiple companies? That's pretty impressive. And you know, Alvin spent 12 years in the mortgage business, and he ran several successful firms. So on top of all of that, he's also a licensed general contractor in the state of Louisiana. Welcome to the show, Alvin. I'm really, really excited to have you today. Ellie, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted to have you. And I've heard a lot about you before. I actually heard your voice on Clubhouse. So if you guys are not on Clubhouse, get someone to refer you. You need, you need to have a code or, or an invite. Get an invite. Get on this platform. It's a great platform. This is, you know, how I was introduced to Alvin and I heard him speak. He has a lot of wisdom to share with a lot of people. And he's very, very popular on Clubhouse for a reason. So Alvin, can you, you know, I think we can kind of start with you telling me a little bit more about your journey. I think it's a really impressive and interesting journey from being a handyman to where you are today. Well, Thank you again for letting me be on the show today. You know, Elliot, sounds great sitting on this side of it, but I can tell you coming from where we started, you know, it didn't feel great. <laughs> you know, I was a handyman just trying to make $5 an hour. And I remember saying, man, when we get to seven bucks an hour, we're going to be killing it. Then I remember going, when we get to 10 bucks an hour, we're going to really be crushing it. You know, I've, I had some really early setbacks in my life that I did to myself. And the thing that has just let me be successful is my tenacity. So well, I'll tell you one of the things that not many people know about me that has really fueled me today is on my son's third birthday, I tried to kill myself. So I put a 38 to my head and pulled the trigger and the gun didn't go off. And 
I took a bottle of nitroglycerin pills and then woke up 10 days later in the hospital and said, man, you couldn't even kill yourself. You're a real loser. So from that position of being low, 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 knowing that, man, I couldn't kill myself. I couldn't quit. So I may as well go be, do something great. And I really prayed that day and said, God, man, if you got something for me, then, then I'll go do it. And if you don't, please have mercy on me. And when I woke up, I felt really compelled to go try to help a lot of kids or a lot of people. And, you know, that was a long time ago. That was actually, I just celebrated 32 years of my rebirth on my son's birthday in January. And so from that, you know, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but I knew I couldn't quit. So I just had to, I had to eat. So we knock on doors and whatever it took to get somebody to trust me and to know who I really am and just know that all I want to do is provide the best service that you're going to get. And I've just taken that all the way through my career. So in the mortgage business, we would educate our clients and and it was more so about educating our client about what they were getting than trying to make the money on the mortgage, which made me so successful in that arena. And so now with the affordable housing and building apartments and developing, I take that same approach that if I buy a rundown apartment in South Dallas, which we have, what can I do to want to live here or to where I would be comfortable living here myself? So even though it's affordable housing, we treat and fix every one of our units as if I would be okay living there or I wouldn't mind my mom living there. And so with that approach, man, I just think you can't go wrong. We're going to always win when we put other people first. And I love helping to make other people's dreams come true. And when I do that, Zig Ziglar said that if I make other people's dreams come true, mine will be automatic or real easy to have. I live my life that way and I'm living a dream. I really am because I'm not going to say I shouldn't be here, but I should because I am. But that's just amazing. So I love talking to people, but I'm an introvert on the other side. So it's like I come out and I'm, I'm out here playing with you now and I'm all you know full of energy. And then I'll go home and yeah. I go, <sighs> <laughs> I wouldn't guess, actually. I wouldn't guess. I thought you were an extrovert through and through. That's how it seems, at least. That's the vibe that I'm getting from you. But maybe the communication and the human connection is what fuels you with energy. And that's what's happening. Yeah. You know, building rapport with people. So you and I can mm-hmm. sit here and talk about, you know, I'm looking at your background and I see the water and the beautiful high rise behind you. And you know, how elegant that is. And when we get on, and if I can make a connection with you like that about your surroundings, then your guard automatically goes down. And now we're friends. And now we're talking, right. to, you know, we're just having a conversation. And if you treat everybody like that, instead of trying to go in for the juggler and make a sale, you know, <laughs> it goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you have, there's a lot of soul and a lot of purpose in everything that you do. Because a very different approach would be, to look at any investment only as an ROI, what's the bottom line, what's the least amount of money I, I can invest in order to get the maximum amount of profit. And when you do that, it might be okay if you're just starting out, but at some point when you're doing okay for yourself and your family is taken care of, then you need something more. Then it's not only about survival, then you need you know, at least that was my journey. And you need something a little bit more than that to feel fulfilled. Because when you were just talking about knocking on doors, it really resonated with me. You were motivated by providing for your family. Once you nail that, then there's kind of the need to do something more because there's got to be more than money in life, right? Right. That's right. I heard somebody say that when you're 
passion and your purpose collide, that's when magic happens. And getting past the hand to mouth, as you said, you know, just basically taking care of, of our basic needs. And then when you can see beyond this Friday, when I get paid into beyond next month's payday, right? Then you can start looking at some things that are really purposeful. And I, I'll just tell you, I was very fortunate that that God allowed my passion to be something that he considered mm. my purpose. So that I'm fortunate that way. I've always enjoyed putting things back together. So as a painter, you know, I would tear the lawnmower apart as a kid. So as a painter, I learned to put stuff together that was torn apart. You know, I learned how to fix sheetrock and how to fix baseboards. So it just worked really well with my personality. And so now with the apartments that we were buying and renovating, that worked well with my personality because we go buy some trash and put it back together. And now with new development, it's just that on steroids. We get to go in and play in the dirt and take a piece of dirt and erect something that looks just so cool and and it's so good for the whole community and everybody that's going to live there. Again, I'm just living a dream right now. I love it, I have to say. And, you know, I own multifamily properties. And I think when you're trying to really take care of the tenants, when you're thinking, okay, what do they need? And not just see it as a transaction-based, you know, housing. So, you know, when COVID started and people started losing their jobs, these were our tenants also. And we knew that some tenants were losing their jobs. Uh, Instead of, you know, going after them hard and demand that they pay the rents, we actually did the opposite. We gave them gift cards so they can go buy food at Walmart because, yes, income is important. You know, being profitable is very much important, but people need to eat. And that's one thing that you say, okay, I'm in a very fortunate position because I have extra capital that I invest in those deals. But some people, this is the only roof that they have. Now, of course, some people take advantage of, oh, of yeah, that. Some of that too. Yeah, so tell me about one of those stories. We had a lady, well, last week it froze in Dallas and we had water pipes break. We had about 90 yeah. units flood. Wow. And we had a guy call the office on Tuesday and I just happened to be on site. And he called and said, hey, man, I've got some mold in my kitchen from the water that came into the unit next door. I looked and I said, this unit? And I said, he hasn't paid since last January. And this was a guy that came in in the office last March and said, I got my money order, but you can't have it because you can't put me out. And I don't know if I should be saying this on a podcast, but I'm going to because it happened. <laughs> so but You can actually, you can, you can evict him legally. So, yes. That's, that is correct. So the way we were able to evict him was because he was a holdover because his lease had expired. And because his lease had expired, mm-hmm. he didn't have a new lease and nobody's going to renew his lease because he hadn't paid us in a year. So I want to tell him that Tuesday that, man, I can't wait to take care of that mold. It's going to be so nice in this apartment, but it's not going to be until you get put out on the curb and the sheriffs are on their way next week. And I just felt so good about that because he took advantage. You know, we wrote off over $400,000 in income last year from two properties in Dallas and New Orleans because either somebody couldn't pay or they chose not to. And the ones that couldn't pay, we supported them and brought food and water as you have. And I'm sure some of the ones that got those benefits could have paid and chose not to. The sad part is that that guy will be evicted this week and now he has an eviction on his record. And guess what? I hope he saved his money because nobody's going to rent to him now because he has an eviction sure. on his record. 
Exactly. And that's one of the things that landlords are looking at. They're running a background check. And guess what? Nobody's going to rent, you know, to sign a lease with someone who has been evicted. And that's the the short-term thinking that some of them, they're not thinking about it. And I can tell you on, on one property, we're actually, we've evicted a couple of people that just completely ignored our calls, knocking on the door. If there's a problem, talk to me as a landlord. I may be able to help, but I want to hear what's happening. Maybe we can work on a payment plan. Maybe we can defer some of it, waive some of it. There's work with us. And those who disappeared, we have evicted a couple of people. And it's a misconception that you cannot be evicted. And, you know, it's not true. You can. You can legally as a landlord evict. In some cases, you cannot. And you know what happened? When we evicted those two people, we got phone calls to the leasing office from tenants that said, oh, don't evict me. I, I have the money. I'm coming in in, in in an hour to pay. So, you know, these are the people who take advantage of it. But you try to do your best because, again, it's not only about the dollar value. You need to be humane, but also not being taken advantage of. So, But, you know, as an investor or as someone responsible for other people's money, right, that's my fiduciary responsibility to make sure that we're doing the best thing for our organization as possible. And of course, yeah, we are people centric. But I'll tell you, in some of our smaller cities, we've collected 100 percent of the rents and we've been able to support those residents because they have paid 100 percent of the rents. You know, we've got cash flow. We've been able to even give back to those communities where people hadn't suffered as bad with job loss, but just, you know, with extra benefits that we did around Christmas time this past year. And so we just love to love on people. And when you love on people, man, I just think that whatever you're working on or working towards, it just always works out. It just always works out. That's true. That's so very true. I'm curious, what markets are you buying in right now? Well, we are doing a brand new development in Decatur, Alabama of 108 units. We just signed a contract today for 12 acres in Anna, Texas, which is about five miles north of McKinney, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. So one of the best places to live in America. And those two deals we have on the books, we're looking at another track of land in Sugarland, Texas, and we want to partner with people that have land all over the continental United States. My goal is 20,000 units in five years. So, you know, I'm bouncing around. That's because I got a lot of work to do in a short time to get there. <laughs> Interesting. I uh, read the other day that Bill Gates is buying a lot of land and nobody really knows why. I don't think it's for a construction project, but I think it's may- maybe he has some idea of, I'm assuming, kind of farms and he wants to solve hunger. Or maybe he's going to convert it into some project that will feed a lot of people. I'm just curious to see what's going to happen. But I know it made some people very anxious, which I don't understand why. But it's just interesting to see that he owns a lot of land now. Yeah, that is interesting. But that makes me think about something totally different off subject. Mm. And if you want to go there, I'll go there. But Yeah, take us there. You know, I saw a deal that Bill Gates did about five years ago, six years ago now, that where he said that our biggest enemy was not a war, you know, it was not a gun or a battle or a bomb, that it was this little thing that had these little blue tentacles on it, and it looks just like this. And it's so ironic that that same little thing is a symbol that they've given to the COVID-19. 
Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I can tell you that if somebody saw that coming five or six years ago, we should not have had the massive shutdown and deaths and stuff that we've had in this country and across the world. I'm just saying. Interesting. Okay. Can you explain a lot? Because now you got me interested. I want to hear a little bit more if you feel comfortable sharing more of your thoughts about this subject. I just know that if I see a tornado coming, I'm not going to stand there. And if I can see five, six years, one of the smartest men on the planet by, you know, by, we're using some of his technology right now. And if he could see this coming five or six years ago, why didn't he do something? Why didn't some, I'm not blaming him, but I'm just saying, why wasn't more done? How ironic that the COVID-19 symbol is the exact same thing that he said would be our biggest threat in five years. And it happened. I'm not a smart guy. I just, you know, I just, it's one of those things that make you go, hmm. (laughs) That's, yeah, we're going through the conspiracy route. It's interesting. I have to tell you that without getting a lot more knowledge and information about it, because I'm just this huge nerd and I need to read everything. I need to see the videos. I need to understand more. It's definitely interesting, but I mean, I hope, you know, and speaking about COVID, I hope that we're recording this. It's March 3rd. I hope that in a couple of months, two, three months, it's we're going to see how we're coming out of this. More more and more people get vaccinated, which is good. Real estate actually held pretty well, specifically multifamily, to everyone's surprises. And I know that the media, you know, try to scare everyone. And I can tell you, I was twisting and turning many nights because of, you know, the war is what's going to happen with investors' money. Are we going to be able to collect rents? Nobody knew. And the media created this fear. I remember the headlines, 50 or 70% of tenants said they're not going to pay rent and just everything would collapse. I mean, the economy cannot sustain itself if if tenants are not paying for real estate. It's, it's just going to create chaos. I'm actually curious, you're in development and you're buying land, you're you're building multifamily properties. Do you do anything different now than how you built multifamily before COVID? Very good question. I'll tell you for the last two years, Elliot, I've been trying to figure out how we could mass produce housing. And so for the last two years, I have been researching and talking to people and I found a product by a company in upstate New York that's 30 years old that builds a product called SIP panel construction. It's structurally insulated Mm -hmm. panels. And we're using those SIP panels because of the indoor air quality, the energy efficiency, the green technology included in this. There are no red label chemicals involved in the production of any of the polystyrene or the OSB plywood that it's used. And So our new building, well, not our new building technology because it's been around for 30 years, but with us starting to use this, we see this as a great benefit because, again, of the air quality. So pre-COVID, nobody, well, I don't want to say nobody cared, but if you smell cornbread coming from your neighbor's apartment, you know, it was really no big deal. It smelled pretty good, right? But nowadays, if you smell cornbread coming, you want to know, what if they have COVID or what if they're really sick? Or what if they're smoking marijuana? And I don't like that. And so this new technology allows us to not only provide air quality in these units that does not transfer from unit to unit, but also 
you could literally control the temperature in every bedroom of your apartment or every room at a different temperature from the the unit that's in your bedroom ceiling. So it's amazing technology and it's so easy to use. And because it's new for us, you know, we've got 10 year manufacturer warranties on everything. So again, with us doing 20,000 units in the next five or six years, we want to have a maintenance free operation as much as possible. We believe we're gonna see some great value appreciations in that and have some of the newest housing stock in the country. So we're really, really excited about that. And I can't do that by myself. Our two companies are not going to do it. We need strategic partnerships with with you, Ellie, and some of your networks and everybody out here. This company that has produced this product for 30 years did not know. I don't want to say they did not know how to market it because they've been selling Mm -hmm. it. But last April, during the pandemic, April of 2020, their process was just approved by HUD to be approved for agency financing. So we're going to start to see this more and more and more. You know, it happened during the pandemic, so nobody's really, we're building in May and June unless those projects already started. Mm -hmm. And now with us taking this by the hand and partnering with them, we think it's going to be, it's going to be, well, we we know it's going to be really, really great. It's going to be good for our organization, but anybody else that wants to utilize this product, we have a direct line with them and I want to plug you in with them. And they're going to provide us our own manufacturing plant in Texas after I do a thousand units of housing with them. Why is that so important to me? So I talked about making other people's dreams come true. We're going to go to the Texas penal system, the parole board, and there are so thousands and thousands of people that come out of prison that can't get jobs. We want to train these people and give them jobs in our manufacturing plant, producing these mm-hmm. panels and changing their lives while changing lives of the people that are going to live in these apartments. And of course, there's probably some dollars available for training. So that just reduces our bottom line and allows us to produce more housing. So, That's beautiful. That's beautiful because it also keeps crime a little bit lower because now that they have, you know, a job, they're not incentivized to go back to what they know or fall back to old patterns. That's beautiful. I mean, I can see the passion. I can, I can hear the passion in your voice. I can see the passion in your eyes and you're really living the dream because a lot of people want to find that passion. They either know what their passion is, but they can't find a way to make it their, you know, their living and make money out of it, or they don't know what their passion is. And, you know, I went to business school. I can tell you that at least 50% of the students there don't know what their passion is. And they went to business school to find it. And we had endless conversations about, okay, what's my passion? Why do I do it? But I think, you know, that might not be the right setting to find your passion. Passion comes from within. It doesn't come from a presentation of Bank of America. And don't hate me, Bank of America. I'm a customer of Bank of America, but I'm, I'm just saying that it doesn't come from there. It There's, you know, I think finding your passion and then finding a way to connect it to your career is much more powerful than trying to go to from the career angle and find your passion connected to your, you know, your desire, your energy. So that's a little bit harder to do. One other thought that I had, I heard that developers are building units differently these days, that they build in a way to curate the units to people who are working from home. So they have a little nook, built-in nook where people can work or their amenities are designed. What are your thoughts about making those adjustments? Well, in our new development that we got planned right now, we did that. We built in nooks. So we're building three-story apartments, elevator-served buildings with interior corridors, so they're not walk-up. 
and we did put nooks. We did two bedroom, two bath units. You've got a lot of people working from home that in some markets, if they don't have to go from home and they don't have to go rent an office, they may use that additional bedroom as an office. Mm -hmm. So we think that a lot of that is going to, you know, if it's economical enough, we think that a lot of that's going to happen. But definitely the workstations and equipping these with very high speed internet because we know that, you know, everybody's streaming and, and doing something online nowadays. Those are some of the key things that we did build into this new development as well. I like glass and I think people want to see the sunshine sometimes. So yeah, and I'm looking at your background. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, you know, there's if I could knock down some more walls and have glass instead, that would be amazing. Because why would you want to block the view, the outside, and everyone wants to be outside these days. So it's really interesting. Well, I would love to keep that conversation going. But uh, unfortunately, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of our podcast today. And the last part of it is the lightning round question. So the first one and I think I have an idea of what you're going to say. But the first one is about your favorite hobby. What is it? Looking at real estate. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah, it is. But right. I bought me an electric bike. I can't wait to go ride it. So it mm. just came in last night. So that's going to be fun. That's awesome. Where are you going to ride it? So I live in Cedar Hill and we've got hills and trails and, and bike trails around there. And this thing's supposed to get up to 40 miles on a charge and I don't have to pedal and it goes like wow. 35 miles an hour. So I can, it's going to be like a motorcycle. <laughs> All right. What's the one thing that people don't know about you? And I think you shared it earlier, so you can use the same introvert. one. <laughs> All right. What do you wish that you had known when you first started working on your first real estate project? I wish I would not have been afraid of the numbers. You know, what I tried to do on the first deal and the second deal and the third deal, I tried to keep the numbers so small that I can entice investors to partner with me. And fortunately, we bought those right and we didn't make any mistakes. Well, we made a bunch of mistakes, but because we bought them right, we were still able to make a tremendous amount of profit off of those first three deals. But I would have count the cost a little bit better. That's what I wish I would have known. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And then question number four is, what's your number one advice for high net worth individuals and family offices that want to scale and grow their portfolio in 2021? Find a very good operator to partner with. That's a solid advice. That's how you do it. That's one way for sure. All right. Alvin, thank you so, so much for your time today. If people want to get in touch with you, reach out to you, where can they find you? The best place is alvinhopejohnson.com. That website will take you to all of my social platforms, which it's Alvin Hope Johnson on IG and Facebook. But that website will give you everything about me and my bio and the courses that we have and programs and where we're going and what we're doing and all that great stuff. So thank you so much, Ellie, for that. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a lot of fun. I mean, I really like your energy and I like your perspective on life. And I'm really glad that we were able to connect. Me too. And I'm so thankful for Clubhouse because I'd have never had this opportunity, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Clubhouse is great. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much again for being here on the show. 
All right. And for you guys, I hope that you're going to leave the conversation today with a little bit more information. You're a little bit smarter than you were 30 minutes ago. Be bold, guys. Be great. Keep moving forward. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.